Hey, when does the show start? Hey, wait a minute. <gasps> First, let's hear from our sponsors. Oh, okay. In just a minute. 50% of all lifetime mental illness begins at the age of 14, 75% by the age of 24. You got something going on. You need to reach out to somebody, maybe a neutral third party, markwelltherapy.com. Dr. David Markwell and his therapists uh, do an amazing job there at Ridgeline Counseling. Markwelltherapy.com. They can do it virtually. You can stop by one of their three Georgia locations, East Cobb, Marietta near the square, or McKaysville, right outside of Blue Ridge. Again, markwelltherapy.com. Who's Tony? You got to have to find out for yourself when you go into the Norcross showroom for UCI Kitchen and Bath. Maybe you're looking at a little reno project to start the new year. They've been Atlanta's number one cabinet, granite, and quartz fabricator and installer for the past 20 years. You're mentioning the BS. You're getting 10% off your regularly priced countertop. UCIGranite.com. That's the website. Do some shopping online, you tech nerd. But when you go into the showroom, uh, make sure you ask for Tony. Tell him Jason said hi. True story. Uh, one of our most popular guests uh, is Mad Doug Manny Aurora, the Aurora Law Firm. Uh, that's no joke. You guys love him. I love him. If you have any questions for him when he pops in on the show, you can go to podcastthebs.com. There's a whole section set up. You can ask us on social media, or you can leave a message on our hotline, 404-369-3825, possibly get a one-on-one. -on -one. Specializing in criminal law, located in Atlanta, but practices nationwide, theauroralawfirm.com, theauroralawfirm.com. It's time, ladies and gentlemen. After all these years in the radio business, Jason Bailey is finally unfiltered. I don't know what you want. With his bestest buddy and producer, all the way from Mexico, it's Nate, dude. <laughs> Sit back, enjoy. Here is the podcast that is all about intellectually immature nonsense. Are a very particular set of skills. You will love it. Why? Because I'm Jason's neighbor. I'm old man Kevin. <laughs> and by God, this is the BS. All right, there it is. Episode 137. 137 of the BS. Thanks for being here. My name is Jason Bailey in the Golden Scissors Studio. Big thanks to Gornstein and Watkins. GWtrial.com. Personal injury, wrongful death, contracts, uh, tenant disputes, landlord disputes, you name it, they do it. Gornstein and Watkins. GWtrial.com. Not in Playa del Carmen, Mexico, because he's building a stage so Rihanna can perform this weekend at the Super Bowl. That's the Nader Tater Vader Masturbator in Arizona. Hello. Hola. How you doing? <clears throat> Sorry. How y'all doing? Oh, look at Hold on. Hear that voice. He's been partying. You know, <laughs> the, the crew puts together a little bit of the stage, and afterwards they're like, let's hit the bar. <laughs> nah, nah. How are you guys doing? We're good. We're good. Uh, sitting next to me in the Golden Scissor Studio. She's smart, salacious, vivacious. She's Nikki Dean. Good morning. What does BD on your necklace stand for? Black Diamond. Black Diamond. Yes. I need to get me one of those. You should. Yeah. Everybody ask what BD. Rach wants to. <laughs> Rach wants to get a tattoo. Uh, I I I think she. <clears throat> Women have a tendency to, at times, like to take ownership of certain things, and they try to be sneaky about it. And uh, between 
us three and however many people decided to listen to this episode. <laughs> I, I, I think she's kind of doing one of those things. Because <sighs> I never wore a wedding ring up until a couple years ago. And then she was she got me this you know little rubber thing, which okay. is fine. I, I don't care either way. I'm not. I've never been the guy to go out there and want. I don't want people to let know that I'm married. I've never been that guy. I'm happily married, and I scream from the rooftops how much I love my wife and my family. It's never been an issue for me. I'm not that guy. You know, some people are in marriages. They're just miserable. They're like, oh, it's the old ball and chain. You know, kind of like our parents used to call. You know, talk about. You know our. Our mothers, you know, this old ball and chain. You just come to me, and I'll make sure it's okay. It's okay, but we won't tell mom. <laughs> That's stupid. Uh, so anyway, she wants to get a matching tattoo. Oh, of what? That's the thing. So uh, we have a we have an inside thing, and the have number a lot of inside things. The the what? I said y'all have a lot of inside things. Yeah, this is this is probably the latest of the inside things for us. <laughs> Uh, and, and it started like the other ones. It was goofy, and it made her laugh, and then it just kind of stayed there. But it's the number 638, right? Six, yeah, three, six, eight. Am I getting that right? Yeah, 638. So, uh, I'm trying to think what that means. You'll never guess it, but if you'd like to, both of you like to try and guess, by all means, you can go ahead and do that. I'm coming up with a blank. <laughs> no. Mm-mm. No. Nate, got anything? Six, three, eight. Um, is it is it the beginning of your her childhood? I'm sorry, her childhood phone number. No, that's a pretty good guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a time six thirty eight. It's just that simple. Oh, yeah. Okay. But uh, you know, usually when I get up, I, I set my alarm to record. Like I, I never set my alarm for a normal time. It's always like seven o two or seven o four. 648 or so, whatever, right? And she's always thought that was funny and goofy and one of my little quirks, my OCD quirks. And so uh, one night <clears throat> I was setting my alarm and she goes, well, maybe you can get up a little earlier and roll over. Oh, yeah. I remember you telling this story. <laughs> and the joke was, is, yeah, i give you 10 extra minutes <laughs> mm. <laughs> or whatever. So that's 638. So she's like, let's get 638, right? We're going out to Vegas in a, in a, in a little while. She's like, let's get it when we go out to Vegas. <clears throat> I was like, all right. But I don't know where to put it. She's like, just put it anywhere. But I'm not an anywhere type of person for a tattoo. Right? I don't just put tattoos anywhere on my body. I'm not that person. You know, I've got a, uh, a design on my right arm that I spent a lot of time on, you know, and it's cool and it's got meaning and it's it's deep and it's it's all kinds of stuff. You just can't put 638 somewhere. So I'm not going to put just random 638 like that gangster Roman numeral, whatever, old English, you know, font. That's just stupid. So I'm trying to think of something creative to add to my existing tattoo, which is of like two medieval women uh, fighting in the clouds. One has a, a cool knife and the other has a, um, a German battle mace. And, uh, and, and then there's a, one of them has a shield with a cross on it. And it's got the American flag draped around it. And in the middle of the cross, it's got my grandmother's initials, E.G., 
So, oh. so and it's the it's the everyday struggle between good versus evil. That's what the tattoo ta- means. That tattoo means. Okay. You know, everybody goes through it every single day, whether you have an addiction, whether you have, you know, it's an emotion, just a decision, a choice, the world, whatever it gives to you, every day you'll have that struggle of good versus evil. Now, that is the deepest thing I have ever heard you say. It's pretty I like that. <laughs> and I have no tattoos. It's been on my arm ever <laughs> since you've known me. I've never looked at it. I know it's there, but I don't know what it is. Yeah, well, that's it. It's the everyday struggle between good versus evil. That is, I like that. So where do I put 638 on this thing? It's far away from that tattoo as possible. Exactly. It has nothing to do with each other. Put it on your toe. That's far yeah, you away. Can't have an, you can't have an homage to your grandmother and also a sex joke anywhere near each other. No. You are correct, sir. You are absolutely correct. So got to figure that out. So anyway, uh, that to be continued. How is the uh, Super Bowl stuff going, Nate? Uh, it's going good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, we started practicing in the stadium now. Um, uh, my group's really good. Uh, like I think I said before this little guy, Juan, I'm like, he's hilarious. So got, I, I don't know. I'll have to figure out a way to like get him on or do something. Cause he's just so funny. Um, but yeah, we, uh, I, I did the opening ceremony the other night. Um, so I got to see all the players come in and talk for the first time. They interviewed all the coaches or, you know, all the players and the coaches and everything. And, um, so yeah, it was pretty cool. It's been pretty cool so far. So it's been fun. Like every other year, you've always seemed to have a good time doing this. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Just remember, you know, we only have a couple days left until the Super Bowl. So keep your eyes peeled on any prop bets on Friday's episode, we'll go through some of the prop bets that are in uh, Bovada, which uh, mm-hmm. is what I use to, to, to place my bets. So let's, let's keep our eyes open and our ears open and seeing if, you know, we can catch glimpses of maybe some outfits. Uh, we hear rumors of somebody joining our own stage, color of the Gatorade, all that good stuff. Right. Okay. Yep. Got it. Got we, it. We can make some money. And any advice you give me, I'll place the bet. You have zero risk. And if I win, I'll give you a percentage. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I'll be yep. bringing having my money Friday because I'll be here. Okay. So you. The you, party. You want. I RSVP. Well, that's right. I'm having a Super Bowl party. Yeah. You forgot? Yeah, I did. Dang. Yeah. Yeah. Right, is there going to be food here? <laughs> have you ever been in my house and there's not been food here? No, but you <laughs> forgot. So I'm like, don't forget to make food. No, no, no. Ray, Ray, Ray's just got the food. <laughs> But, you know, this past couple of days, I've been out of town. I went down to Florida for a couple of days to see my mom, which will be in the bonus uh, content for the premium two percenters. By the way, we're uh, we're going to try something different with these podcast or these episodes. We're going to shorten them up a bit. Not that we're lazy. It's just, I, I again, I think that we're providing too much content. I know that sounds horrible to say, but like I see some of the feedback from people on social media and they're like, I'm still behind. I haven't caught up. It's I don't have enough time to listen and this and this and that. So I'm going to try to shorten these up and possibly continue to shorten them up just so you can get all the 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 show in. Right. And people aren't like, I haven't got that episode right. yet. Don't spoil it. Yeah. So that's what we're going to we're going to try to do. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about that on Friday's episode. Remind me okay. about the Super Bowl party because okay. I forgot all about that. Forgot all about it. Uh, okay. So, yeah. So after our guest. <clears throat> um, comes on you'll we'll do the bonus content so we're just skipping on one second no big deal right and then brandon's not here for this episode so it's going to be one question with nikki and i got a question and you got a question all right that's good (laughs) 
<laughs> and we're gonna do that here in a minute, but I want to bring up the 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 balloon that we popped. This is like fascinating to me that we uh, are continuing. I mean, like we're talking about a balloon. I mean, I understand that could be a Chinese spy balloon. I I I, I don't know what to think. Right now, I, I don't have any papers in front of me. I'm just going based off of what I've heard and what I've read in the last you know however many days until we popped it. Uh, so the balloon started on the West coast, right? And it was at 60,000 miles high altitude, right? Which is way higher than planes go. Planes go like 31, 32, somewhere in that world. So this thing's way up there. And from what I've under, what I understand, the Chinese brag about these balloons. Now, uh, the, the damn thing starts floating and people can see it mm-hmm. and they're like, what the shit? What is that? A UFO. And then the government says, no, it's a Chinese spy balloon. <laughs> like, what do you do? Like, is there any manual? Is there a textbook to, to shoot down a Chinese uh, spy, balloon. spy balloon? Well, the Chinese say, no, 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 no. It's a weather balloon that got off course. <laughs> Bullshit. I don't believe that for a second. Definitely don't believe right? that. So I don't know what it is. I don't know, but I don't know if it's a, a spy balloon or not. I have no idea. Uh, personally, I, I don't know. I just know that a, giga- a gigantic, it was like James and the Giant Peach, right? When he's like flying, uh, you know, in the sky. It's like a, it looked like a hot air balloon, but a person wasn't in it. It was just two little, right. like, it did look like some weather meteor type um, satellite signals coming off the side of both ends. But we're talking about the Chinese here. They could have been gathering any kind of intel, cameras on those things, all kinds of stuff. But it just seems like, so it, let's just say it is a Chinese spy balloon, which I'd never heard of the old spy balloon thing before. So is it, because the Chinese are like pretty smart when it comes to technology. Mm-hmm. And when you spy on somebody, the, the whole purpose is for them not to know you're spying. So was this like the opposite approach? Like one Chinese guy goes, look, I think they know all of our tricks. Why don't we just go out in the open and spy on them? And then when they catch us, we'll have a backup plan and say it's a weather balloon because that's what they do when they find UFOs. They lie to their own people and say it's a, it's a weather balloon. Like we've heard the word term weather balloon more in our lifetime and no one's ever probably seen one before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you don't even know what it is, right? So, uh, so it's like if they're, if they're spying, why would they have this gigantic balloon that everybody could see? It's just, yeah. right? It's that's, like the hiding in plain sight type of thing. That's what I'm saying. Maybe that mm-hmm. was the strategy. Yeah. Right? Okay. So be, just just listen to the conversation before you. If everybody's freaking out and turns this political because that's where it's gotten, <laughs> of course. <laughs> We're all such fucking sheep in this country. It's like nothing can be what it is, and nobody can have a debate without getting angry at somebody and it turning and then the last resort is to become political. Yep. It's got to be political. Mm-hmm. This is how desperate the networks are. The Foxes, the CNNs, the MSNBCs, the ABCs, the Newsmaxes, they they have to find angles to super serve their political agenda. Every single one of them. And they all sound so stupid. Like they're purposely saying the opposite of other people. And they don't believe any of it. I find it hard to believe that everybody believes what they're reading, right? Even and I'm talking about the op-ed people, not the people that are delivering the news because nobody delivers news anymore. It's all op-ed news. It's my opinion Yep. because I give a damn what Don Lennon or Lemon cares about. 
Like I can't, I like Anderson Cooper. I've met him before. He's a very nice guy, but I don't, he's got zero influence on my life. Same goes with that nerd Tucker Carlson who know, you know, that dude just got bullied his entire life. He got a gig and was like, I'm going to show them. <laughs> they're all nerds. They're all, they're, they're all the kids that we put in lockers, right? That's all they are. Anyway. Um, so they're like, we're not going to shoot the balloon down. Right, because that'd be dangerous. I could understand that. You it don't make sense. Yeah, you don't want to do that. So they so they let the balloon spy for a little bit longer, because <laughs> when they decided they were going to sh- like shoot it down, I guess it was like over Montana, and the Montana governor was like, "Thank God they didn't shoot it down over Montana, because it would have killed our horses." And so they're like, "Let's let it spy throughout the entire country." And we'll shoot it over Myrtle Beach. Right, when it gets to the ocean. <laughs> it gets to the ocean, which makes sense. I get it, but it's just silly. It's kind of funny. So they let it go over there, and then the uh, the jet pilot uh, in, in one of our newer planes goes up and spends a gazillion dollars on a missile, uh, or we spend a gazillion dollars to shoot a missile at a balloon and pop the balloon. Yep. And I, I you know, so... What gave me inspiration behind some of this uh, conversation is when I was leaving Orlando the other day, I was listening to my former radio station, Real Radio 104.1, and their morning show, The Monsters, uh, hosted by my buddy Russ Rollins. He's got a really good crew in there. And one of the guys on the show, I believe his name is Ryan. This dude is, is radio gold. Comedy, 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 comedy. This guy is hilarious. And he's talking about... How he's like, what we need to be worried about is the air. And I'm sitting there, I'm scratching my head. I'm going, what does he mean by the air? Can you let her out, please? She's crying. So he's talking about the air in the balloon. And he says, he's so worried about Chinese air that when he gets an Amazon package and the the air, you know, packing stuff, he doesn't pop it because he's afraid it's got poison in it. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) I thought that was the most hilarious thing I'd ever heard in my life. Uh, I was like, oh, that's funny. So, anyway, the balloon is popped. It falls to the ground. Uh, I'm guessing we recouped all, we recouped all the stuff. Now I want to know, and be, I, maybe they have since, you know, we recorded this episode. Like, if they find this stuff, I would assume they would find all the stuff. And, and I would hope that they were smart enough that if they blew it up, that they blew it up. They did, Like, they popped it. They didn't blow it up. So, it looks like they... Kind of popped it, but kind of blew it up. I don't know. Like, I, you don't want it to blow up into smithereens because you want all the techie stuff to fall to the ocean so you can recoup it and see what it really is. You know, they didn't blow it to, like, oblivion. They just literally shot it, and it popped, and all of it came down, and they recovered the pretty much everything from it, the sheeting and all that stuff. They have it. So if it's not a spy balloon, and I don't know if there's markings inside the balloon that says... Chinese spy balloon or Chinese weather balloon. I don't know. But if they find that it's not a spy balloon and it was, in fact, a weather balloon, does the United States government come out and say, we were wrong, we apologize, China, it was a weather balloon? And you, it was just a simple, you know, it got off course, you're right, because uh, supposedly this has happened numerous times before. And that's where the political thing gets in. You know, it's, it's Biden didn't shoot it down fast enough 
Um, and, you know, my president would have shot it down right when he saw it. Well, there was three during his administration, and they didn't shoot any of them down, nor did they tell the American people that it was flying over the country. So, you know, and then that goes, you know, radio silence when people find that out, and then the proof is put out there that it actually ha- – it's just a mess – and everybody's go. Everybody wants to blame like one guy for one thing every time, whether it's Trump or it's Biden. Versus it's going, it's a fucking balloon, guys. Are you really having an argument with somebody? Like you do realize the spy thing, the balloon is the last of your worries. Just take a look at your phone. Do you have TikTok on your phone? You're being spied on. Okay, it's just how it is. We we get spied on. Just don't say anything uh, that can get you in trouble. You know, yeah. we're, we're being spied on by our own government. You know, if you think yeah. if you if you think that you're this private person because you 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 decide to upgrade to an iPhone five, you're like, oh, my four doesn't. Dude, there's so many things. Your privacy's gone. When that Patriot Act, Patriot Act, if you really want to buy into a conspiracy theory, go back to 2001. All right. If you want to jump on the bandwagon that it was an inside job for the sole purpose to get the Patriot Act pushed through without any questions or any eyebrows raised, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I would buy into all of that. But that Patriot Act, Patriot Act, when we when it was signed and nobody said a thing about it, that made sure all of our privacy was gone forever. So don't worry about being private. It's just it's not going to happen. You know, and, and if you well, want, if you want to argue with me on that, I, I could sit there. We can go out and get a cup of coffee, and I'll just tear whatever your argument is apart. You know, there's definitely no privacy. I think the biggest thing with with the balloon that people were failing to realize, because again, it got political. People wanted to criticize the president, but the military, first of all, know what they're doing. There could have been anything inside of the balloon. You go up there and pop it; it blows up over somebody's state, kills that. Like you just did not know what was in the balloon. They had to wait until it was somewhere safe to go up and pop it. Then you got to also think about. What could have been released from the balloon if they popped it over a state? Like, it's all different type of things that could have happened. And they gathered intel while the balloon was flying. So they know what it was doing. They know what it was transmitting. Like, we have technology, too. Yeah. It's all made in China. Well, (laughs) we got it. (laughs) Yeah. And and some guy uh, posted in the two percenters group some video. I think it was like an air uh, fighter pilot or something. And he he was kind of going through like what, why they did what they did. And part of it was just like uh, they have to like ground all the planes around because if they're going to shoot a missile over, you know, civilian airspace, you got to get all the, you know, Mm -hmm. commercial jets out of the way and everything like that. So there's a lot of things that we just jump to conclusions, but they're is an answer for it we just don't know it because we're not educated on the subject so it was cool to watch that video I, I don't know if it was real or not but i think i don't know if it's the same post but he actually knew the fighter pilot that shot it down yeah 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 that was it which is way cool and, and i don't know I, I didn't read the 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 thing but i just kind of glimpsed at it and i was mm-hmm. like well that's true that's I, I i don't believe anything so i'm just like <laughs> if it's if it's true if it's true yeah that's but it just amazes me how quickly we get up in arms over things you know and, and it's the older you get the more you get you know, I always go back to the guy I play tennis with. Anything that happens in the world, he just wants to test the waters with everybody. And he's so passive aggressive. And it'd be like, spy balloon. Mm-hmm. 
And we waited that long to shoot it down. I don't know if I buy in that there were three others during the last administration. Probably should have shot it down first. But anyway, that's just my opinion. I, I don't know. I mean, you know. He <laughs> <laughs> does one of those. He's just like, and I don't say a word. And 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 if he's he's like, you know, he's talking because he knows if there's anybody that would debate him on something, it would be me. Everybody else kind of you know agrees with him, or with the exception of actually two other people. But anyway, no, so not everybody. But you know, it, but he likes the debate with me because you know I'm a little feisty at times. And, and I'm fairly knowledgeable, right? You know, I, I, I do as much research as possible on stuff to talk about it. And, and I won't answer. And he'll kind of push me and be like, you know what I'm saying? It, like, there's no question. And they were like, Jason, what do you think? I'm like, think about what? He goes, everything I just said. I was like, you never asked a question in that whole thing that you just said. <laughs> it was just a complete statement. It was a story. If you want people, and then I'll break down how he delivered it. I say, if you want people to comment on what you're saying, you have to ask a question. And if you're sitting in front of three other people, you have to direct that question to at least one person to get the ball rolling. You know, so I'm breaking it down <laughs> on how he needs to do it. Oh, he's pissed off. Just to be a dick. So. <laughs> anyway, uh, Russ, another funny thing that Russ had said when I was listening to the monsters when I was coming back is that he, because he's a big Batman guy, he goes, couldn't we have done what Batman did? You know, like when the Joker, he put the balloon up with the gases and then he had the, the bat plane grabs the balloon and he pushes it out to safe space and then he blows it up over there, but it was done a lot quicker, you know, and then you got to worry about in the balloon, like the Joker had deadly gas. Yeah. The Chinese put in deadly gas. It was just a funny scenario. I mean, we're talking about a freaking balloon, like a balloon, yeah. like a, we popped a balloon. Now, some of you are just up in arms over this conversation right now going, you don't understand how damn serious this could be. This could start World War III. <laughs> you know what? You might be right. And that would be even more silly that World War III started over us popping a balloon in our airspace that didn't belong here. Well, the Chinese are upset about it, so you never know what they might do. Well, GFY, Chinese people, you can kiss my ass. Don't fly your shit over our country. <laughs> they said we overreacted. No, we did not overreact. Mm -hmm. If anything, we were very cool about it and like let it get to the water because we were smart and we didn't want to injure our own people. That's what I'm saying. It flew through the, the whole across the whole country. The first I heard about it was my cousin on Facebook. She's like, so are we going to just keep posting about stupid stuff on Facebook and not acknowledge a balloon flying over Nebraska? And I was like, <laughs> what's stupid again? What is she talking about? So that's what made me go research to see what was going on. Well, if, if if there if there's if there's if we can shoot things down, like if you had a drone, like fly over an international airport, they're going to shoot it down. If you had a drone fly over the White House, they're going to shoot it down. So there are certain places that you cannot fly things. You can't fly aircraft unless you've got clearance from whatever is the closest tower, right? And, and you got the flight plan and all mm -hmm. that good stuff. Am I correct? That's correct. Okay, so. It's not unusual for somebody to say, hey, you can't fly something over somewhere. Uh, and especially after 9-11, you exactly. know. So it, if these people think that we overreacted, what would, you know, what I would say to them is, what would you do? Let us fly a balloon over your country and then you can let it fly all the way through and then you can shoot it down when it gets to the other side. How about that? Exactly. And we'll call it even. 
but isn't it kind of what you were saying? It's kind of silly. Like, oh, yeah. You know, if, if it is a just a weather balloon, yeah, we are overreacting. <laughs> but I mean, if it's not, obviously, you know, watch this big story. Watch this big uh, storm of biblical proportions come and hit us, and the Chinese not tell us about it. And like that's why we had the balloon. We were trying to surprise you and get you ready for this big storm, but you had to shoot <laughs> it down. Nah, the Pentagon swears that it was not a weather balloon. They say it was definitely for surveillance. I, I believe I believe that. Yeah. I believe it's for some type of surveillance. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was to... So, I mean, every country... Well, the countries that had the capabilities of doing it, we all spy on each other. We have to. I mean, th- that's what keeps, well, I guess us safe to an extent. And every country does it. Every country does. I mean, there, there are spies here from Russia that have... In, you know, incorporated themselves into the fabric of uh, of America, and you would know, you wouldn't know. And the same goes for Americans. Yep. I mean, we're in all kinds of other countries as spies, looking and hearing and seeing and tapping and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> hacking. You know, I mean, that's what we do. It's just the balloon thing is goofy. Like out of all the ways you can spy, like you have satellites in outer space that can see probably better than your your zeppelin. And yeah. And I just, it just, it just, it's weird that uh, out of all the, th- you can go onto Google Earth and in front of your computer and spy if you really wanted to. Yeah, you're you're saying all the things I was thinking. I mean, I don't know either way. You know, if it is or whether it is or it isn't, it just sounds kind of ridiculous because. Yeah, they they have the technology to have satellites in space. They have like micro drones and, uh, you know, implanted like spy agents. And then they also, like you said, like TikTok collecting all this information about us and they have like hacker networks and everything. But yeah, the next logical way to spy (laughs) is just to float a balloon that you can't control across Montana. That's how you get the intel on the United States. But but, but, but I think it was one of those like, you know, so in in world, uh, is it world? or two uh and i forget the general that came up with the idea but it was a a major turning point in the war is that we uh had dummy uh, artillery like they were balloons you know they they were they they made these these balloon art they they were like blow-up tanks Mm -hmm. and and, do you know the story no I've, i've seen a picture of them though okay so the and they and they lined them up because they knew that they were being spied on and they were making it look like they were going somewhere else, but they were actually going to a different place, which was a pivotal point in the war. Now, that's all I remember. I, I couldn't tell you the, the names and all that stuff, but it was real. Somebody came up with that idea and said, hey, let's do blow-up tanks. That's like, hey, let's fly a spy balloon over the United States. I mean, it's just the same kind of goofy mentality that might actually work where they're like, out of all the things they would think that we would use to spy on, they would never think of this giant white balloon that everybody that you can see from the ground, like with the naked eye, they'll never think that it's a balloon. And then when they catch it uh, or we flew it three times prior, nobody did anything about it. Let's see if this old guy even knows anything about, it. you know, Biden's like, hey, here's a balloon. I love balloons. Give me a balloon. He had no idea what's going on. He knew what was going on. But I'm going to tell you, it causes paranoia because I was at work uh, Sunday. So they when they shot it down on Saturday, um, we had some people at the hotel um, that were Asian from 
another country because they had to check in with their passports. And here's my paranoia brain. The lady comes downstairs. She's like running this Asian lady. And, and she's like, I, I, I'm checking out. And I'm like, okay, well, do And she's like throws her, her keys at me with her suitcase and she's running out. I'm like, I wonder if China called them and was like, they got to come back right now because they're about to wage war with us. And then I'm like, why am I sitting here thinking stuff like that? Because <laughs> yeah, I'm reading racist. too much of this crap. I, I I always I I always uh I always think like there, so there's a there's a scene in um in Red Dawn and when the the uh, I forget his real name he was a, he was a famous actor but anyway he was the fighter pilot and he gets shot down and then he joins the crew with Patrick Swayze and Charlie Sheen and 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 all the, and everybody there and uh, one of the kids goes how did this whole thing start. And he goes, I don't know, man. Two toughest kids on the block, I guess. But that's actually really profound because that's how this shit starts. If you were to go and poll every single person in the United States and every single person in China, I'm pretty sure, I would bet my life savings that over 90% of those people, because you got to leave margin of error for the crazies and the survivalists and all these people that want war, but over 90% of the people don't want war, right? I mean, that's... that's I, what, I agree. It's it's literally the two dumbest kids on the block. It's the leaders mm-hmm. that are pressured by people for greed and agenda and power and land. Those are the ones that want and, and to make a name for themselves. You know, that's who wants war. I mean, we, we've gone to war before to cover up other things in the news so one person it was a distraction for one person i mean that's absurd people die children die generations die for one person's greed and agenda it's horrible absolutely horrible and you often walk away with nothing having really been solved and and, and, and and the rest of us, you know, especially in the United States, because we really haven't seen, like, we, we haven't lived war, right? It's not like we're in some of these other countries, or let's say Ukraine right now, that, you know, tanks are driving up and down your streets. And it's horrible. These, you know, kids are growing up like this. It's already been a year of this, of this, of this conflict or whatever you want to call it, war, um, is that we look at it and go, it's like not a big deal. You know, then you some people be like, "Oh man, that'd be great, man! I got stockpile. I got eight boxes of three eighties. Like, I got I got ammunition. Yeah, I got, they always say that. <laughs> I got ammunition lasts me for days. <laughs> they think they're ready for war until it comes. Yeah, until they're gonna realize they have no idea. Until some guy knocks your door down with a flamethrower, <laughs> <laughs> or takes you out with a drone. <laughs> yeah, or take, yeah, you don't even know it's some nerd sitting by the desk. Halfway across the world takes you out with a drone. You know, that's 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 war right now. So anyway, uh, we popped a balloon. We're safe, right? They probably yeah. got some yeah. intel. We can go on to the next thing to be scared of. What what if it wasn't Chinese government run? What if it was just some company that were huge Yellowstone fans and they were trying to spy on the set of the last season of Yellowstone? They're just trying to get spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> or they're like, we're just trying to bring Wi-Fi to Montana. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse
excuse me, Mr. Lee, would you like to explain why you flew your balloon over Montana in the United States of America over airspace that you're not supposed to be in? I really, I really wanted to know what happened to Beth Dutton on the final season of Yellowstone, and I couldn't get any answers. So I had this gigantic balloon that could shoot, see down on the set, and I just thought it was a good idea at the time. I'm sorry, I'm a big Yellowstone fan. 50 lashings for Mr. Lee. You almost made us have World War Three for your Yellowstone fatuation. Whatever it is. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. No Brandon today, so it'll say Brandon, but it's actually Nikki. One question with Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. All right, Nikki, go ahead. Roses are red and violets are blue. And Sparky's Lawn Care wants to mow a lawn for you. Oh, my God. That was my Valentine's Day edition. You're just as bad as Brandon. <laughs> Sparky's Lawn Service, veteran-owned and operated since 2020, Sparky's Lawn Service was created during the height of the pandemic to give homeowners a break with their lawn care needs. Sparky's Lawn Service handles basic lawn care needs, mowing, trimming, edging, and occasional odd jobs and operates with the basic principles of treating people honestly and fairly while getting the job done right you can do it spring summer really any time of the year if he is based out of Atworth he serves the metro Atlanta area Sparky's lawn service takes pride in customer service and satisfaction and offers free estimates in addition to fair and competitive pricing that can't be beat if you want to get a hold of Andrew Sparks just email him at Sparky's lawn at gmail.com or you can give him a call or a text message at 706-897-2199 there you go all right what's your one question okay i have a saying it's one of my favorite sayings this action speak louder than words so my question today is if actions speak louder than words is speaking also an action if see yours are smart and that's it's going to make them kind of complicated. <laughs> Brandon's are so dumb and ridiculous that they're even more complicated because you got to figure it out like five different ways till Sunday. So if actions speak louder than words. Is speaking also an action? Is speaking an action? Mm-hmm. Well, actions speak louder than words isn't science. It's a phrase. It's 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 not real. I mean, yeah. it's, you know what I'm saying? It's it's not like... It's saying it's, what you do it. matters, not what you say matters. Yeah, but it's a saying. It's not It's not gospel. Like, it's, uh, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. Does that mean when I go to the bookstore, I shouldn't decide what to buy based on the title? <laughs> <laughs> it's the same thing. <laughs> it's just a saying. It means something different than what the analogy is that they're giving you. So, yes... Speaking it is an action. You're speaking. Yes, it is an action. It is a verb. That's what an action would be. Speaking yeah. is a verb. Yes. Well, easy. the saying aside, you don't even need the saying. Yeah, speaking's an action. You're you're moving. You're doing something. You're talking. It's an action. 
right? Speaking in action or the movement of your mouth is the action. Like your mouth moving action, not the words coming out. It's the action. No, speaking. I think that's the question is the words that are coming out of your and mouth. She, is th- that action? This damn bit is cursed because she's doing the same thing. Like we, we've answered your question and now you're arguing with us about <laughs> not our arguing. Answer. I'm just asking which part of it do you, are you saying is the action? Everything. The words, the, the air coming out of your mouth, the mannerisms with your hands your lips moving your head moving the the whole thing is an action everything about it is action your, action jackson your head doesn't have to move when you speak though no it doesn't but if it does it's an action me speaking like this without any inflection but just barely moving my lips even if i don't move my lips and i'm gonna turn <laughs> i can just that's still an action what is the action the action is jason seeking poorly but speaking (laughs) that's an action right Nate? yeah yeah i mean you could be like waving your fingers or something that's an any kind of movement's an action right so your mouth is moving that's an action yeah that was pretty oh it wasn't very good i thought it was great no that was dumb (laughs) i didn't like it well you loved it and then now you don't like it it was just too easy i don't think it was easy see again you're too smart but like this bit is for not so smart people (laughs) Well, it seems like he still had issues, though. <laughs> My God. All right. Uh, here's how it's going to play. Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk to our guest, and then we're going to do bonus content for the premium two percenters. So uh, for non-subscribers, you get the guests, but you don't get the bonus content. And uh, you premium two percenters get to hear about my trip to go see my mother and what... I did to her that she hasn't had done in, I'm assuming, 40, 50, 60 years. Oh, my goodness. And it's possibly illegal. Whoa. Yeah. So just get, hear this. it gets even better. So that's your bonus content, your premium two percenters. If you do want to subscribe, podcastthebs.com. That is our website. Easy stuff. Mad Dog Manny Aurora comes in twice a month. You got questions, legal questions for a defense attorney. You can get those in on the website. Our merch store is up on the website. Our playlist from the top three episodes are released on Tuesdays up on the website. If you want to be a sponsor, just got a couple emails the other day from possibly new sponsors. Thank you for that. Uh, we'll work something out. I always do. Uh, podcastthebs.com. All that good stuff uh, is on the website. All right, let's talk to our guest. Hold up. Wait a minute. Let's hear from our sponsors. Just about everything needs to be insured in your life, right? So find the best in the business. That'd be Sean Camp at Country Financial. House, boat, motorcycle, car, you name it, needs to be insured. How do you get a hold of Sean? Easy. Call him. He'll pick up 678-519-9028. Tell him Jason said, hello, 678-519-9028. Yeah, make sure you mention the BS because he takes care of the two percenters. Or you can email sean.camp at countryfinancial.com. S-H-A-U-N dot C-A-M-P at countryfinancial.com. The camp agency at Country Financial. It is your one-stop shop for all your insurable needs. Rodents get cold, too. They might want to get warm in your attic or crawl space. Uh-uh, not on Inspect All Pest Services Watch. Inspectallservices.com. That's the website you need to go to and book an appointment. Mention the BS. Receive 10% off 
your exclusion work. Did you know that uh, one big issue with house fires is that squirrels cause them by chewing constantly, chewing on the wires, plus all the disease the rodents bring in. Don't let that happen to your house. Inspectallservices.com. I know every year you say you're going to do something about your health, right, dudes? Uh, Well, this year has to be the year. The older you get, you lose a lot of time. Menswellnessleague.com. That's the website for Nuberty's Men's Wellness uh, League in Sandy Springs, Georgia. I've been doing testosterone maintenance, as you hear, all the time for over two years, and I feel great. I just want you to feel great. I want you to look great. I want you to feel great about yourself, and I want you to stay on this earth for just a little bit longer, right? How about the Wellness Combine for only 99 bucks? Because you're a 2%er, that's $200 off the regular price. Plus, if you sign up, you're going to get a complimentary vitamin cocktail valued at 150 bucks. Just make sure you mention in the BS when you sign up, you schedule that call, menswellnessleague.com. You're the only person I'm going to say this to. Feel free to call my wife. 404-797-4600. That's if you're looking to buy or sell a house because she's a realtor and that's why I'm here to tell you how great she is and how awesome she's going to be for you. She's a realtor with Coldwell Banker, Rachel Guy. She's your guy and she's my wife and she's awesome. 404-797-4600. You can also get a hold of her. I am rachelguy at gmail.com. Are you asking yourself right now, who's doing my taxes this year? Because the guy last year, (laughs) no way, not happening. Well, let me answer that question for you. Alliance Tax Solutions. You go to keepmy.money. That's a website, www.keepmy.money. It says it all in the URL. Tax resolution, tax planning, tax preparation, bookkeeping. Georgia-based, face-to-face tax resolution firm. They are the best in the business. 25 years combined experience, and they have resolved millions of back tax debt for their clients. So if that's you, Alliance Tax Solutions, that's the solution. www.keepmy.money. And back to you, Jason. I don't read books often, but if I'm going to, I think I'm going to pick this one up because this story has filled my news feed for the last couple weeks. Not sure why, uh, other than the fact that it's so interesting. And I'm talking about Lisa Guerrero's memoir, uh, titled Warrior, My Path to Being Brave. Now, if you're not familiar with Lisa, she's an award-winning journalist, an actress, a former sportscaster, an artist, a model, cheerleader. I even think you're in the Cheerleading Hall of Fame, are you not? I am. I'm recently inducted into the Professional Football Cheerleaders Hall of Fame inaugural class. Woo-hoo. I need to get my daughter down here. She's a high school cheerleader. She'd be like, you, you know, you'd be her idol. You know. Your daughter needs to read my book. Yeah, well, Jason, get her to read my book. So there's a lot in this book that, I mean, you you've 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 hurdled some hurdles. I mean, you've had to deal with a, a, a lot in your life to the point where it was detrimental to your mental health. So uh, let's start. I guess um, probably maybe Playboy days before sports casting, correct? After sports casting, oh, that's um, well, right. Actually, I, I, you know, there it was kind of like bookend, actually. So I was signed with Playboy models when I was um, in my late teens, early twenties. I was a swimsuit model and fitness model. 
um, Playboy Models was an agency that represented not just Playmates, but mm. also models that did fitness. So as a requirement with that agency, I was asked to go on Friday nights to the Playboy Mansion. And I was so intimidated. I had never had alcohol. I didn't do any drugs. And, you know, I, I walked into the Playboy Mansion the first time and I was disgusted. I was like, oh, all these old men hitting all these, um, these young women and everybody's drinking and doing drugs. But of course, I'm fascinated. So I go down to the grotto which was really stinky and smelly and crusty and actually kind of gross. Mm. But I was, I was fascinated by this world, by this landscape, by these glamorous women. Uh, but I wasn't a playmate at the time. As my career uh, started to grow as a sportscaster later on, the Playboy organization kept offering me first to be a playmate and then later to be a cover model for the magazine, which I rejected every year for 20 years. So it wasn't until after I was a sportscaster and trying to rebuild my career after Monday Night Football that I finally said yes to Playboy. And I became their cover model um, at the age of 41. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was really an incredible experience, which I write about in my book. And that led to Inside Edition doing a story about me. And then they offered me a two-year um, a correspondent contract. Uh, and here we are 17 years later. I'm now the chief investigative correspondent for Inside Edition, yeah. thanks to Playboy. And since then, I've done 600 investigations for yeah. the show. And you do a great job. I'm a fan. Uh, not only you, but in Inside Edition, you do a fantastic job. Um, Thank you. I, here, here, here's why my heart breaks for you because I knew a lot of a good, a good number of women that were in the exact same situation as you, and you're labeled this toy um, in in the world, uh, especially a world of men, and you're not taken seriously. And I, I've known personally a lot of women that y- your book is their lives. Uh, I've known women that did Playboy and similar things were talked. You know, a friend of mine was the 2006 Playboy Playboy Playmate of the Year, Kara. And, uh, you know, but a lot of these women that do the FHMs, which I believe is kind of where it started with you and the Maxims back in the day, that was kind of the appetizer before Playboy. I know it was with Kara because I helped her win that contest is that you're, you're not this, you know, not all these girls are these promiscuous party girls. So when they show up, these guys, these celebrities think that you are and expect certain things from you when you're at the Playboy mansion because of who they are. Right. Yeah. And again, you know, I, I was there when I was really young and I was very innocent and I brought empty Tupperware containers with me so that I could swipe the free food. And then I would get into my crappy Toyota Celica and split before the old men came out of the screening for movie night. Um, So I found a way to get over on Playboy (laughs) in my own way back then. And then, of course, you know, my career exploded. I, I became an actress and was on, you know, Sunset Beach and then became a sportscaster. So all these amazing things happened after that beginning part at the Playboy Mansion. And 
Um, but what I learned was that, yes, women are viewed as commodities. And if you're on television, a big part of your job is to look good because it's a visual medium. So that's a given. You better look good if you're going to be a female sportscaster. But if you look too good, then you're simply a bimbo. Mm. And um, so, it's, so it's this interesting thing. And again, you know, I started my career in the nineties. There weren't a lot of women that looked like me back then. You know, my very first news director, when I was hired as a sports reporter, asked me to cut my hair short, not wear nail polish and don't ever wear lip gloss. Uh, They wanted to kind of make me look androgynous. And I I rejected that. I said, I'm Latina. I look like I look. I have long hair. I'm happy with my femininity. I'm comfortable in my sexuality. And lo and behold, the ratings went up Mm -hmm. on that show. And, And then when I left the show and went to another station, the ratings on that station went up. So I think people understand that women can be attractive and sports knowledgeable, fun to watch, intelligent funny, all of those things. Uh, but, but at the time in the nineties, it was, it was not done. And, you know, there were other female sports reporters before me, certainly, but I think I was the first one that was, you know, had this really glamorous look and was also an actress, a working actor at the same time. I was on an Aaron Spelling show mm-hmm. Monday through Friday while I was a sportscaster for CBS on the weekends and Tuesday and Thursday nights. Mm-hmm. So I was doing both at the same time. Isn't it funny that in, in the, especially news business, they might not say this out loud, but it is definitely true. The men that they hire, they want them to be fairly good looking, you know, unless you've been there for 30 years and you're grandfathered in. But if you're hired, I mean, it's visual. You don't want them to be ugly, but if women are too good looking, they feel the audience is not going to take them seriously. Isn't that just so weird that that, that mindset's there? It's still there. It is, and it, it's so weird to me. And I guess maybe because I live in Los Angeles and, you know, that there is like a hyper-awareness of what you look like and, you know, fashion and trends and beauty. And, you know, I laugh a lot because I, I am Latina. And if you watch Univision, Univision or Telemundo, the women broadcasters mm-hmm. are like very sexy, very hot, yeah. very, you know, even, you know, my age at 58, you know, you see women my age on those other networks, you know, that are Latina that have it going on and they can have some cleavage and they can have, you know, wear red nail polish and, and they're still reporting the news and they're still badass, you know, interviewers. Mm-hmm. So, so people don't really blink an eye that much about that in that community but in white America, mm. they, they have more, a little bit more, um, they have a bigger problem trying to get their head around, wow, you can be sexy and smart and funny and articulate and sports knowledgeable and be able to chase bad guys down. That's just like <laughs> mind blowing. Well, I've got friends that will watch Telemundo because they can't afford Playboy just because the girls are so beautiful. <laughs> girls are hot. Those women have it going on. God bless them. So you've always been a fan of sports. I believe I read it was just ingrained from your parents um, growing up. You you just love sports. So that was the direction you went. And you then get the gig of all gigs for Monday Night Football as a sideline reporter. And that really probably was one of the biggest arrows in, 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 your, in your ego and in your heart, right? Uh, the way that you were treated by people of name that, that have credentials. Right. I was, I was not prepared for the amount of criticism I would face. Um, 
at that time when I was hired by Monday Night Football, which was 2003, I had already been a local, regional, and national sportscaster in Los Angeles. So I started at CBS2, then went to Fox 11, then went to Fox Sports Net and was on um, uh, Sports Geniuses, Tough Man, The Best Damn Sports Show, period, um, Southern California Sports Report, National Sports Report, as an anchor and a correspondent doing sit-down interviews with Barry Bonds, Alex Rodriguez, Kobe, Shaq. Um, you know, massive superstars. And I had made a really great name for myself as a tough reporter and a, a, you know, an anchor, a sports anchor. So when I was hired by Monday Night Football, um, I think there was a resentment towards me in mainstream media and in the sports media that I didn't come from ESPN or New York-based media, East Coast media. They saw me as this L.A. bimbo as a former cheerleader, as a model, or simply an actress. And they ignored the decade that I had worked as a a sportscaster. So I I faced criticism before I ever even picked up a Monday Night Football microphone. But I, uh, I did the, you know, the egregious thing, which was I misspoke Um, After my very first regular season game while interviewing Patrick Ramsey after the game, I called Lafreniaus Coles his former teammate instead of teammate Mm. because we were talking about the Jetskins. The Jets turned Redskins. So, you know, former teammates um, facing off, you know, that that Monday night on the first regular season game was the theme heading into the game. So I misspoke. I quickly corrected it on the air. But that was it. That was all the critics needed to say, see, she doesn't know football. She doesn't know who she's talking to. She's a bimbo. So that became the beginning of the slut shaming for the rest of that season. And then the following year as well, even long after I was fired from Monday night football, I was still um, uh, criticized and bullied and, you know, uh, really, I thought unfairly abused in the media. And uh, so that, that led to depression and anxiety. And, you know, at one point I was so sick that I really had suicidal ideations. I wanted to kill myself over this job, which sounds outrageous to me now at the time, if I could go back and tell my younger self 20 years later, you know, things get better, ignore this. You're going to build a better career, a bigger career. Um, But at the time sports was my identity. That's all I knew. And I had worked so hard um, to build myself up to the career path to get the biggest job in sports, which was sideline reporter for Monday Night Football at the mm-hmm. time. And when I was fired from that, I, I didn't, I didn't for a long time, I didn't have the will to live. And I almost killed myself, literally almost uh, drove my car off PCH. Wow. And were you fired just from, from misspeaking that one time? So the culmination, I think, of the entire season was kind of like a, it was a slow motion avalanche. So once that happened, um, there, the narrative was, she doesn't know sports. She doesn't know football. She's a model. And it didn't matter what I did. For example, at one point I wore a bright red nail polish and a columnist actually wrote an entire column about how my polish was distracting (laughs) and that, you know, only whores wear red or something like that. Things that they would never allow, like an editor would never allow that to be printed today in a newspaper. Um, Sports radio was having a field day with with me. Um, And so because of the criticism and because I had a verbally abusive boss that I was scared of, I really 
was not performing as myself. I wasn't able to write my own copy. You know, after 10 years of being a sports reporter, I had always written my own copy. All of a sudden, my executive producer is rewriting every single word of my copy, expecting me to say it verbatim. And if I didn't, he would scream at me in my earpiece in front of 40 million people. So, of course, I wasn't, um, you know, I think the most confident self that I could have been. And, you know, as I got through that season, I improved until, you know, the very last game was the Brett Favre. Green Bay, Oakland Raiders game, which is kind of an infamous, incredible game. And I looked back at that and I saw all of my hits unedited back to back. And I was like, oh, holy crap. I'm really good. I was very good at that job at the end of the season, Mm -hmm. um, despite all that criticism. But I didn't see that at the time. At the time, I was so depressed and overcome by anxiety and fear that I, I was not performing you know, the way that I could have and should have been. I wish one of your friends would have pulled you aside and said, Lisa, it's the Redskins. There's it's okay. It's you can, (laughs) and this is coming from a guy that grew up a Redskins fan, you know, and on top of that, it's Patrick Ramsey and Lavernius Coles. No offense. You mean the commanders? Yeah. You mean the commanders? The commanders. I don't think we're using that term anymore. I apologize. But you were the first, (laughs) I mean, you, you, you were, fairly no holds barred. You weren't afraid of these athletes. Uh, when you sat down with them, you were the first one to kind of go at Barry Bonds, right? About the steroid, uh, abuse. Yeah. I, I was the first person to ask him on camera if he had taken steroids. I sat down, it took me eight months to get this interview from, I had to go through Scott Boris, uh, Rachel Viscara, you know, his managers, his agents, all his, his uh, team to get that interview. And finally I got the interview. They gave me 20 minutes. We j- jumped in. I kind of disarmed him with a booger check and he roared with laughter and that kind of warmed him up. And that interview lasted about an hour and a half and ran on um, several nights on Fox sports net over the, that next week and really helped to solidify my reputation as a, a tough reporter, but also a reporter that was able to get emotional answers out of very tough athletes. What did he say when you asked him about the steroids? So of course he denied it. He did make some news. He admitted taking creatine and some other supplements. Um, One of the fascinating things in that interview though, that I, my takeaway was, you know, his, his dad, Bobby Bonds endured a lot of criticism in the media. um, And his dad was an alcoholic And Barry talked openly about being a child of an alcoholic and about seeing this negativity written about his dad constantly in the local papers that he was reading. And so that was the basis of his animosity with the media. His now famous animosity came from being a kid and reading about his dad in such negative terms. So that, that really made me see him as a human being. And, and again, created this line of empathy that I use today when I, when I talk to my victims on my investigations, the, the, the trauma that I endured uh, has helped me be a more empathetic and compassionate reporter. And I think that in general, our country can use a lot more empathy and less judgment, less cruelty, and more of an acknowledgement that there's somebody on the receiving end of any kind of cruelty or negativity or criticism or toxic behavior online. Somebody is there. They're absorbing that. So I think empathy is is what I write about a lot in my book, Warrior. And, and it was so bad that made you had a miscarriage. 
Yeah, I think, you know, when I was on Monday Night Football and I was enduring a lot of this criticism, I found out I was pregnant. I was early in my pregnancy, somewhere between eight and 12 weeks. And towards the end of the season, I um, had a game where, as usual, I was throwing up before and after my interactions with my boss. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep at all during that season. I was I was really physically and emotionally sick. And um, in the first quarter, I started to feel a cramp. By the second quarter, I felt really dizzy, very nauseous, and a lot of pain. By halftime, when I went into the official's bathroom, which was right behind me in the tunnel, I realized that I was having a miscarriage. But instead of telling my producer, instead of calling 911, instead of going immediately to the emergency room, I realized that if I did that, I'd be fired. I thought I would endure more criticism for not being tough enough to get back out onto the field for the second half. So I shoved a bunch of paper towels into my pants. I buttoned up my long coat so nobody could see the blood. And I went out in that second half and continued the game, um, which was now I know insane and risky, physically risky. But I was so sick at the time that I was more afraid of the criticism had I left than of my physical health. You should send your uh, copy of your book to Brock Purdy and say, Mm -hmm. you know what I did to go to work and you couldn't (laughs) to get through a championship game? That poor kid. You know, and and this is the thing. Like, there is a culture of cruelty in sports. There is a demand for, you know, uh, human performance. There is this almost ridiculous expectation that we have to be these tough, superheroes that we have to take aggression and that we have to take toxic behavior and toxic language. I spoke to Bob Costas in the writing of my book to get his advice on a couple of things. And he said to me, Oh, you know, that's just the culture of sports. I had a producer that yelled at me all the time. They all do. I'm here to say that that's not appropriate. I don't care if you're a sportscaster. I don't care if you're an accountant. Um, Nobody deserves to be yelled at. Nobody deserves to have uh, verbal abuse lobbed at them in their job. I don't care who you are. So I think we need to check ourselves when it comes to the culture of cruelty in sports. I've yelled at Nate before. He's been my producer for a long time. And right now, that's all I can think about is the day that I yelled at him. I know it is. Don't I, do it. I, I, Be I, nice. I, send him flowers. That, that was a long time ago. <laughs> People evolve, Jason. People evolve. You know, you can you can ask forgiveness and be a better person moving forward. No. Uh, going back to the, the Playboy stuff, uh, Hugh Hefner. I've heard different stories about Hugh Hefner, again, from people that I know that have been out there and been a part of that world. Uh, I've heard the good and I've heard the bad and I've heard the creepy. Where would you put them in those categories? Well, in my circumstance, um, he was very nice to me. Uh, I was, again, I was a, uh, a, uh, a cover, you know, a celebrity cover at 41. So I certainly wasn't being treated like a, a, a young girl that was living at the mansion because I was, and I had already had a career. So he was nice to me, but years later I became the host of a show called secrets of playboy mm-hmm. on a and E, which was a massive hit last season. And we're getting ready to shoot season two right now. Um, but through that, that, um, that show, I was able to interview lots of women who had a very different experience who claimed that, you know, he was abusive to them that he sexually assaulted some of them, that he gave them drugs and um, 
you know, that, that he and other people in the Playboy world, um, you know, really misused and mistreated and in some cases sexually assaulted these women. I believe them. Um, they told me their stories and that's, that's, you know, now on the record and part of how history is going to maybe redefine Hugh, who Hugh Hefner really was. Do you work with Samantha Bennington? No. With that, with that show? Yeah, we've had her on a couple times. She's Chester Bennington from Lincoln Park's Widow. She was doing something with that show, and she we we'd had her we've had her on a couple different times. She's a fantastic human being. She was doing like PR for the show or something. I remember I thought she oh. brought up your name at one time and asked if because uh, we had been talking about the the Playboy show because it's actually a very yeah. very good show. It's very very interesting. Uh, guys- it won a Critics Choice Award last year. Yeah, we were right. um, best documentary series in the crime and justice space. So yeah, I'm really proud of that show. It's it's an incredible. Did, incredible program you can watch it on hulu you guys if you want to catch up on yeah. it before the second season did did you ever run across an athlete during an interview not interested in your questions but more interested in you and your body and, and try to and hit on you yeah oh yeah i mean that was kind of part of and especially when i was young and beautiful and are you still you beautiful know, Lisa? out there in the world thank you shucks <laughs> um but yeah you know that was part of that was part of the deal you know athletes would hit on me i remember within a 48 hour window, I was, um, hit on by an executive from my network, a player in a locker room, an owner. I'll tell you who he was. His name was Donald Sterling. He used to own the Clippers. Um, and another member of the media, like one of my colleagues at a different network in a a 48 hour window. So that, that's something that women in sports, you know, just deal with and we shouldn't have to, but especially back then in the nineties, it was like, we were a fair game and we were, you know, people were uh, pretty aggressive. And, you know, I, I talk in the book about, you know, being actually grabbed, you know, physically, um, sexually assaulted in a locker room by another member of the media in a media scrum. So, um, yeah, it's something that, that I have had to endure. I shouldn't have had to, well, and I hope women don't, don't endure those things today. Were any of those advances to you from an executive or a player did you ever chalk any of those up as you were flattered? Because I mean, you married, you married a professional athlete and I don't know how you married, met, but maybe it was during an interview and you just found him attractive. So, no, 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 no. Let's, let's be very clear. <laughs> Read my book. No, I didn't. I never interviewed Scott Erickson. I had never met him. So he was at the time, um, a baseball player for the Baltimore Orioles. Mm -hmm. And I was on a show called the best damn sports show period. And I had just interviewed Barry Bonds and his publicist, Rachel Viscara also represented Scott Erickson. So she wanted us to meet. And I said, no, I'm not interested in dating a baseball player. And she gave him my cell phone number anyway. And the first time he called, I hung up on him. Second time he called, I talked to him for about three minutes and then hung up on him. And he was relentless. And eventually I, we made a, a bet over the World Series and um, I won. And so he flew to my town and we went out and then we became uh, engaged pretty soon thereafter. But yeah, I know I had never covered him. So I didn't date the players that I covered and I didn't date the people I worked with. I kept that very separate. But that, you know, it, it's such a, I don't, I, I don't know if catch 22 is the right term or not. And, and by the way, I'm not condoning the, the, when, when women are treated like that, I'm just saying people meet in the environment that they're in mostly. And if you're working all the time and you're, you're, you're a human being and they're a human being and just things happen, 
the guys never put restrictions on that. Well, now maybe they do. Definitely not then. But women have always been forced to put those restrictions, even if there's a spark or they want to get to know someone. They almost, you almost have to force yourself not to like the person. Yeah, you know, I, I guess it depends on the environment, right? You know, it depends. You know, in my case, as a sports reporter, I thought it would be a bad idea for me to date any of the players that I covered for a couple of reasons. Just ethically, how do you report fairly on your boyfriend if he's had a lousy game? You know, are you going to gonna make excuses for him? You know, I was pretty tough. I was very tough on the teams that I covered. Um, ask any of the Dodgers during some of the seasons when they sucked about, you know, how tough I was on them as a, as a broadcaster. Um, so I, I don't think I would have had that same edge had I been dating a player um, so I, I chose not to do that, but if I was in another work environment, if I worked, you know, in, in finance and, you know, was in, you know, a large, uh, firm or corporation where you meet a lot of people, then maybe that's different. I just think as a journalist, I had to separate myself and be one step away from, from having a personal relationship with anybody. And I, I wouldn't even go to like, go play golf or something with any of the players or, or just like not even not dating them, but just not socializing. Mm. I didn't go, you know, I, I just thought that was a bad line to cross for myself. Now I know a lot of women did it. Um, and a lot of men also befriend the players that they cover and they will become golfing buddies or whatever. But I think that makes you a soft reporter mm. because you're not going to report fairly or honestly about that team or that person. You got to be the enemy kind of, right? Not the enemy, but you have to be, you know, you have to be somebody that reports fairly. Mm. And, you know, if people talk about fake news, um, you know, press is the enemy. Um, we're not. We are we're people that are, are trying to report on things that can help you in your community. But in terms of, of sports, that always makes me laugh because it's actually the sports casters that are crossing that line and that are are building these relationships and, and aren't necessarily um, reporting fairly on their teams. They're more like cheerleaders than they are reporters in some yeah. cases. Yeah. Nate, do you have a question for Lisa? We only had a few minutes left with her. Yeah. So Lisa, I, I know you're an NFL cheerleader and I've always wondered what do you guys do in the off season or what did you do? Do you like, do you have another job or did you work at uh, a different sports uh, outlet doing cheerleading? So, you know, when I was an NFL cheerleader a long time ago in the 80s, we were expected to either be going to college at the same time or to have another job. Cheerleading was just a hobby. It's not a full-time job. And I, I think that's still the same today. Um, you know, cheerleading to me is is something that that is fun, builds camaraderie with other women. I got a lot out of it because those women that I cheered with in the 80s are still my best friends today. So, um you know, I think here's here's where the problem lies for me with professional cheerleading. You are working for a billion dollar team, a multi-billion dollar, you know, organization. It's now global. And these cheerleaders, in, in my case, I got paid 25 bucks a game and got two free tickets up in the cheap seats for my dad. Um, so I didn't think that, that that was fair, that here are ambassadors, you know, brand ambassadors for your team out in the community, doing charity work, wearing your uniform colors, representing you on calendars, on posters, and you know performing during game day, and then getting paid 25 bucks, which doesn't even cover your gas for the week, going to all these events and rehearsals. So I know the cheerleaders do a little bit better now, but it's not nearly 
um, what they should be getting paid considering the time, the effort, and, you know, the fact that they're helping to build positivity in the community through being a brand ambassador. I think cheerleaders should get paid a lot more. Um, but yeah, no, it's not a full-time job at all. We, we still have other jobs or, or are going to school in the, you know, in, our, in the off season. It's, it's funny. You, know, you, you have the backup or the third string quarterback that no one knows it's getting paid millions of dollars to yeah. ride the pine but yet people get excited to watch the cheerleaders on the sideline or do halftime and they're fans, you know, and you'll have fans, but nobody knows who the second or third string quarterback is, but he's getting paid crazy amounts of money. It's nuts. Uh, yeah. Even the mascots, the mascots, mascots get paid more than more. the cheerleaders. Yeah. So come on. Nick, pay up. Nikki question for Lisa. So right now, Nate is actually in Phoenix where the Super Bowl is being held. And being that you're into sports, I want to know who you're rooting for for the Super Bowl. I'm rooting for the Kansas City Chiefs, and I'll tell you why. Um, Patrick Mahomes is a family friend. My ex-husband, who I'm still great friends with, Scott Erickson, used to play with his dad, Pat Mahomes. They were, they played on the twins together and um, they won a world series together. So Pat is an old family friend. And I remember Patrick when he was a wee little kid. And um, I remember Patrick bringing or Pat bringing Patrick into a locker room um, environment when Scott was playing. And after the game, I saw Patrick who was maybe about 11 at the time. And his dad goes, he has a crush on you, but he's scared to ask you for a hug. So I went over and I tackled the little guy. So anyway, I, I feel very fondly about Pat and Patrick Mahomes. So I'm going to be rooting for the Kansas city chiefs. See, that's what I'm talking about. You know, everybody's got to pick a side for the super bowl because the super bowl is bigger than just the football fan. And you have to have a reason yeah. why. You have to have a story. And, you know, let's finish with this last question because you'd be the perfect one to ask. I actually was just talking about it a couple episodes ago. I've been screaming this for years. In sports, and I'm a sports fan, in sports, you need more than just the game now more than ever. You need a storyline. You need an angle. You need a spin, right? You can't just have the sport. This, okay, there are there is too much competition for the viewer. There's too much competition for, um, for the typical person who's watching Netflix, who's got their job, who's got their kids, who watches sports as a hobby, um, not, not somebody in the sports industry. So for just the normal, typical people, there's a lot coming at them. And of course there's their phone and social media. So in covering sports, there almost needs to be a hero and a villain. Mm -hmm. There needs to be interesting storylines. There have to be a reasons to watch. What is your rooting interest? You know, why do you care? You know, give me a reason to care about a team, a player, a city. So these, these themes, these, um, these elements of, of interest are ways to drive the viewer to watch the game because there is so much else to pull their interest and focus. Now, those of us that are huge sports fans, I mean, I'm going to watch any game, any time. If it's on, I'll watch it. But for most people that have a life, unlike me, I guess, um, you know, they want to know why, why am I going to spend three hours watching this game? I want to know, I want to hear some, some serious dramatic backstory to help me really invest my time in this, in this event. Yeah, I always use the analogy of Star Wars. You know, Luke Skywalker is nothing without Darth Vader. You know, you need right. you need good versus evil. I'm a big fan of tennis, and 
I host the Atlanta Open, and I always try to, with my style, you know, if you got a guy that's from Georgia, you know, where we're doing the show at, or if you have the American versus the Russian, and kind of want to put them, you know, you want to put them over a little bit, but they're still even keel, and there's no entertainment in the in the tennis world. Golf is very much the same way. Football's a little bit different. Baseball, different because, you know, you'll have the closer come out with the music. It's entertainment. You know, you've got something. Oh, I like him because he comes out to Metallica, or I like him because he comes out to Guns N' Roses, whatever. Uh, your story that you just shared about uh, Patrick Mahomes, there are people that are listening to this that had no dog in the fight, will root for the Kansas City Chiefs just because that was such a great and cute story. You know, so, you know, it's just, it's about, you know, these are human beings playing sports and we want to know why we care. Like, why should I care? Right. It's because this human being has an amazing backstory. Yeah. Story. I agree. So I, I, I love sports. Well, thank you so much for coming on and giving us all this time. Uh, Lisa Guerrero's memoir again is titled warrior. My path to being brave. You can pick that up wherever, you know, Amazon or you get books and, uh, Lisa, you're a remarkable person. Keep doing what you're doing on Inside Edition. Thank you so much. Thanks, you guys. I really appreciate you having me on, Jason. This was fun. Bye-bye, Lisa. Thank you. Get off my lawn. It's old man Kevin, and the BS is done for right now. Please share, like, and support. Podcastthebs.com. It's better than radio. Now, get out of here.